Welcome to Had to Be There, the podcast that allows you to explore the world's greatest destinations through the stories of those who have been there. Here to ignite the wanderlust within, your host and favorite travel planner, Kelly Acevedo. Welcome back to the Had to Be There podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and this is episode 87. How are you guys settling into 2024? Have you broken your resolutions yet? Or are you still holding strong? I'm not personally big on resolutions, and I'm using air quotes around resolutions, but I do try and set a goal or an intention for my year ahead. And okay, yeah, you might argue (laughs) that that's exactly what a resolution is. But just let me have this, okay? My intention for 2024 is joy. I want to say yes to more things that bring joy into my life. And I want to say no to the things that do not. This is also the year I turn 40. So I guess my other goal is just to... uh, Make it to 41, you know? (laughs) So what does 2024 have in store for you? If you haven't already, come join our Had to Be There podcast community over on Facebook and let us know your own goals, intentions, resolutions, plans, trips that you've got coming up this year. So normally this is where I would transition into the weekly roundup. But in the spirit of saying no to things that Don't bring me joy. I think I've rounded up my last week. This is not a breaking news outlet. And there's just so much news and so many updates and promos that are coming out on a daily basis. I just I can't keep up. (laughs) And the travel news industries, especially on social media and in podcasts, is so saturated. So I'm going to let those newsy platforms do their thing. Of course, if you are interested in travel news and promos specifically, I hope you're following at vacations by underscore Kelly on Instagram, because that's where I try to keep you abreast of what's going on and where you can save money. So instead, going forward, I hope you'll join me for the all new No Before You Go segment, which is kicking off right now. (laughs) Whether you're dreaming of exploring charming streets, tasting delectable cuisine, or standing in awe of ancient landmarks, Georgia awaits. And no, this is not the Georgia that Gladys Knight and the Pips were trying to catch their midnight train to. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Republic of Georgia. You can find this country at the crossroads of Eastern Europe and Western Asia, and as such, it's considered a transcontinental country. A small portion of the territory lies in Europe, but the majority of Georgia is situated in the region known as the Caucasus, which is the natural boundary between Europe and Asia. As your friendly neighborhood travel planner, I've been doing my research so you don't have to. So let's talk about some of the things you need to know before you go to the Republic of Georgia. First, let's talk about entry requirements. I have great news for my fellow Americans, also Canadians and members of the European Union. No visa needed to enter this country. Make sure you have a valid passport uh, that is valid for at least three months beyond your planned departure date. I typically recommend six months just to be on the safe side. I also always recommend spraying for travel insurance to cover unexpected situations because you just never know. And I'd rather you be safe than sorry. Once you've entered the Republic of Georgia with your valid passport, you're free to stay up to a year. So, you know, stay as long as you'd like up to 365 days. 
I know this is not just my favorite, but a lot of your favorite parts as well. Let's dive into the culinary delights awaiting in Georgia. Georgian cuisine is a true feast for the senses. I'm going to try not to butcher the pronunciations in this segment, but uh, no guarantees. So picture yourself savoring hakapuri, which is a delightful cheese filled bread, or try your hand at folding hinakali, which are savory dumplings. It's the, it's the KH the that gets me. Anyways, if the opportunity presents itself, I hope you'll indulge in a traditional supra, which is a Georgian feast with an abundance of dishes and heartwarming toasts. It just sounds so warm and fun and welcoming. As I was going through some of the best dishes in Georgia and some of the best places to eat, lots and lots and lots of suggestions for bread and cheese based dishes. So that's basically my entire diet right now. (laughs) Give me all the bread and cheese. Uh, So there's definitely going to be something for just about everyone. I think that, you know, maybe if you're a vegan or if you have a gluten intolerance, it may be a little trickier, but don't worry. You'll find something delicious to snack on. I was also reading that little Parisian style cafes have been popping up all over Georgia. Um, So that's kind of a fun little thing to do. Sit at a cafe and get a little taste of Paris and Georgia. Why not? Right. So we've covered how you get into the country and what to eat when you get there. But what else can you do when it comes to the must see sites in Georgia? Tbilisi is a great place to start. This is the capital of the country where you can wander through the old town, explore Narikala Fortress, and enjoy the eclectic architecture all around you. If you're looking for a spiritual experience, I recommend visiting this one cathedral (laughs) that I'm really going to try to pronounce. Uh, It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it's called the (laughs) Svetitsk. Coveli, Svetis Coveli Cathedral. That feels right. That feels right to me. <laughs> it looks beautiful. You can find it in Muscheka. Nice, right? Um, and I'm going to post some pictures of this one because it looks really just incredible. Don't worry, nature lovers. Plenty for you to do, too. Uh, lots of opportunities for walking and hiking and climbing. You won't want to miss the breathtaking views at Gargetti Trinity Church near Kazbegi or the ancient cave monastery of Vardzia. George is one of those places where like, okay, you know, it's old (laughs) and people have been there for centuries and centuries, which I think that we, especially here in America, um, have a hard time wrapping our heads around until we see it for ourselves. But visiting just just one or two of the landmarks that we talked about so far offer a glimpse into the rich ancient history and the stunning landscapes of this region. Highly recommend getting out and exploring on your own. And don't worry, it's safe. There are two regions of the country that are currently occupied by Russia, which I would advise staying away from. But other than that, feel free to explore and talk to people and really immerse yourself in the culture here. Before we wrap up, I have just a few practical tips for you. You may want to consider renting a car to explore beyond the cities, especially if you're thinking of tackling the winding roads and mountainous terrain. But be careful because driving around Georgia can be a little chaotic and dangerous. They have a pretty high rate of motor vehicle accidents, so just be alert. And as far as interacting with locals, English is increasingly spoken, but you should still learn at least a few basic Georgian phrases like hello or thank you, which is Garmaryoba and Madloba. Or try this one out. Itsika Inglisori. Do you speak English? (laughs) But don't worry. 
Georgians are known for their hospitality and they will do their best to communicate with you and help you navigate your way around the country. Also, you should probably be prepared for generous offers of food and drink during your travels. Did you know that Georgia has this really long, rich wine history? Yeah, bread, cheese, wine. What more do you need, guys? (laughs) So that's a wrap for our new Know Before You Go segment. I hope you'll find this to be a valuable resource as we continue our travels around the world. Let me know what you want to hear about and what kind of tips or highlights you would like to see in the segment. We're going to take just a quick break and then we're going to jump right into this week's conversation with my new friend and tour operator, Ralph Valesco. The Had to Be There podcast is brought to you by Vacations by Kelly, where your host becomes your travel agent. As a proud affiliate of Academy Travel, Kelly specializes in Disney destinations and can help with all non-Disney excursions worldwide as well. When you book with Kelly, you're getting much more than a travel agent. You're getting a personalized concierge level travel partner. And the best part? Her services are completely free. It's true. So when you're ready to make your next travel dream a reality, Vacations by Kelly is ready to make it happen. Visit hadtobethere.net slash vacations to get started. Ralph, hey, welcome to the Had to Be There podcast. Thanks. It's great. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Uh, Before we jump in, though, can you give us a little background on who you are? Sure. So I've been uh, organizing and leading small group tours for about 15 years now. And uh, I've always been a traveler. I've enjoyed traveling since I was uh, very young and when I was uh, 15, I was I studied in Spain in high school during mm. high school during the summer, and so I kind of got hooked on travel back then. And then uh, the next summer, I was a volunteer in Peru, and the next summer, a volunteer in Venezuela. The next summer, I studied in Mexico City. So from an early age, I've been uh, a traveler and got hooked. Uh, But I never thought that it would uh, be something that I could turn into a living. But with the advent of the Internet and uh, social media and all these different uh, things that we didn't have way back then, uh, I was able to create a business out of this. So pretty happy to do that. And like I said, I've been doing this for 15 years and organize and lead small group tours around the world and um, help people with their photography if they're interested in that, but they're not photo tours or certainly not photo workshops. And uh, so it's much more like a cultural tour, casual, and uh, a lot about the food and the local drink and wine tasting and yeah. hotels <laughs> and things like that. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's amazing. So you mentioned getting hooked on travel really young, <laughs> which is amazing. Did you um, go on like family vacations growing up? Were your parents big travelers? Yeah, they were somewhat uh, travelers. They had been around a little bit. Uh, They were working a lot back then. I grew up in the restaurant business and so working very hard back then. So didn't have a lot of time to travel. They traveled a little bit later in life. But uh, we did travel as as kids around the U.S., which I'm from Chicago. But... uh, we also used to go down to Mexico about every other year when I was a kid because we have some family down there. And so uh, that was really my first exposure to international travel. But uh, that was with the family. And then Spain, I was on my own. And uh, as you can imagine, that was even better. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Spain is probably the only place that's consistently been on my bucket list since I was like young. Um, now it's like, you know, longer than anything, but, uh, (laughs) Spain's always been like at the top of my list. I would love to see it. Uh, so that's amazing. Um, and you are talking to us from where today? Right now I'm in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And, uh, yeah, so I've got a group showing up today to start our trip. And I usually get to a place about three days in advance to get over jet lag, confirm everything, um, kind of get some of my own work done. And then the group, yeah. right, right now it's eight o'clock in the morning here 
And so my group uh, is arriving and we start the trip tonight. Awesome. That's very cool. So uh, tell me where you're taking us today. Well, um, probably Spain. Spain is uh, one of my favorite places. Like I said, it was the first place that I traveled internationally on my own when I was 15. And so I've kind of been hooked on Spain ever since. I speak Spanish after having traveled quite a bit in uh, Spanish-speaking countries around the world. And so uh, Spain is uh, really one of my favorite places. I'm actually looking uh, to move to Europe by the end of next year. That's my goal. Wow. And so, yeah, and so Spain is high on that list of places that I would go to because I speak the language. Yeah. Uh, but I also love it. It's, it's a big country. It's very varied. Uh, it's got a lot of different, you know, coastline and mountains and interiors and the small villages and just uh, um, history and the food. The food is yeah. Off the <laughs> Let's not forget, Let's the, not food. forget the food. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a, a number of had to be there experiences to pick from. Uh, but why don't you set up uh, the one you want to share with us today? Okay. Well, I've got so many favorites, <laughs> but yeah, the Republic of Georgia is uh, definitely high on that list. Uh, a lot of people don't know about it. So when we say Georgia, they think of the state, of course. Right. But, uh, the Republic of Georgia is in the Caucasus region of uh, sort of on that ed- eastern edge of Europe, western edge of Asia, and mm-hmm. uh, a very small country. Lots of history. They say that it's got the oldest wine culture in the world. Oh. Um, wonderful food, beautiful uh, monasteries and um, mountains that are like Switzerland, you know, snow-capped mountains in the north. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. So uh, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, and Tbilisi is a capital that I think goes back to the 500s. Whoa. So there's a lot of history. There and uh, beautiful architecture, very modern architecture, like you can't believe. But then it's got the history of yeah, so old. So that's a a very cool, really nice people. It's interesting too. They've got a complete, obviously a different language, but they've got a different alphabet too. That is, uh, at least to me, completely indecipherable. It's not like (laughs) based on you know, our alphabet or even Russian or Greek, it's uh, more along the lines of like, um, you know, here, here in Cambodia, uh, you know, or even like Chinese, Chinese where uh, it's characters that are indecipherable. Wow. So on this particular trip, you're going to talk about what made you decide that this was where you wanted to visit. Yeah, um, I was actually approached, uh, I speak at a lot of the uh, travel and adventure shows in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so I was approached, I, I had spoken there. Um, and after my my talk, one of the, a lady came up to me and said, I see that you do tours around the world, but I see that you don't come to Armenia. Would you like to come to Armenia and uh, you know, we'll sponsor you, come on over, check it out. Maybe you'd like to bring trip uh, groups there. So I said, sure, I've, I've never been to Armenia. I'd love to go. And we get to Georgia because it's right north of there. And so I said, if I do a trip to Armenia, people are going to want to go to Georgia as well, because it was starting to get on some people's radar. Yeah. And uh, I was starting to hear a lot about uh, groups going there and stuff or, and so I said, I want to combine a trip to Georgia and Armenia. And so uh, I did some scouting there and uh, really just fell in love with that part of the world. Amazing. So tell me about this story, because you have a pretty funny story about um, trying to get to Armenia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I tell a story about uh, I was at the end of my scouting trip in Georgia and I was heading to Armenia again, which is south. So my local tour operator was going to take me to the border to get to Armenia and meet my guide over there. Uh, Now, my tour operator is a young woman, maybe 32, 33 years old, very, 
very, very good. And, uh, but when she picked me up at the airport, it's kind of funny. um, I could tell she was driving a little hesitantly. And uh, she said, uh, oh, please don't worry about my driving. I I don't drive a whole lot, but my father's going to drive us around the country uh, so that I can talk to you and everything. So I'm like, great, you know, sounds good. And I I was a little bit relieved because I'm thinking, well, you know, if we're going to be a lot of time in the car, you know, maybe uh, this older gentleman would be a better driver. Right. <laughs> but that wasn't quite the case. <laughs> and he was uh, very, uh, very hesitant and uh, quite a bit older than I'd expected. And so <laughs> I felt uh, even less safe with him at the wheel. <laughs> uh, it was one of those things where I don't know how he did it, but he would slow down to pass someone and he would speed up if someone was trying to pass him. <laughs> so just picture that for a second. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm like, you know, definitely white knuckling it the whole right. time, which was only about two days right. uh, that we were together and he was driving. But turned out he was going to drive me and her to the border, which wasn't far, maybe an hour away, and uh, drop me off. So I was thinking that, uh, so we get to the border, they drop me off. They'd say, Ralph, we'll wait outside for 10 or 15 minutes. So make sure that you get through and then we'll leave. I said, great, that's nice. So I get to the border and there's four or five people in front of me, not a big line. And I get up to the, the, the immigration officer there, give him my passport. And he says, uh, do you have a visa for Azerbaijan? I said, no, I'm going to Armenia. And he said, well, this is the border for Azerbaijan, which is the third country. (laughs) I said, really? Okay. Um, Thank God you needed a visa because if they had let me into the country, I don't know how I would have gotten out and found them again. And you live there now. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so um, it turns out that the border for Azerbaijan is about 45 minutes away from the border for Armenia. And there was no flags, no signs, no nothing. But of course, I expected them to know where they were taking me. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, imagine that. So I said, okay, well, he gave me my passport back. I walked back outside and I told them what happened. They're like, oh, no, you know, they didn't even realize it. So I'm thinking I'm, I'm all, uh, you know, feeling good because I don't have to drive with this person anymore. Right. But now I've got another 45 minutes for him to take me to the Armenian border. And I kept thinking, hoping that she would take over for him at some point, because I could tell she was white knuckling it, too. So we're about two kilometers away from the Armenian border, and she decides to take over. So I'm like, now you decide to take over. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with like five minutes left in the trip. Right. (laughs) So long story longer, they, they got me there. And I got over the border and continued my trip to Armenia. Oh, my God. That's such a riot. (laughs) So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but if you could sum it up, why do you think that more people should add this itinerary, Georgia, Armenia itinerary to their bucket lists? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a somewhat off the beaten path location. It's not one that's high on a lot of people's list. You know, I, for, you know, didn't quite know where either country was exactly, <laughs> but I'd heard of them, of course. Uh, so it's a part of the world that's, like I say, off the beaten track. And so, uh, but it's got a, a really nice tourist infrastructure, incredible history. The food is absolutely wonderful. And there's a lot of it. <laughs> um, every time we would go to dinner, cause I started bringing groups back there and you go to dinner and they would literally give us five times the amount of food that, you know, a group of eight or 10 of us could possibly eat. Oh my gosh. And so we felt terrible because, you know, we felt like we we're wasting so much food, but that's their culture. They are just, you know, they, 
they just love to uh, give food to people. And it was, uh, and the food is fantastic. It's all locally grown. It's organic, you know, it's fresh. It's right there. Uh, farmers will trade with each other eggs for lettuce or tomatoes, whatever. So everything's local. Yeah. And it's, uh, so it's really uh, very, very tasty. And like I say, a lot of it. So uh, amazing. there's so many reasons. The monasteries there, uh, I know my trips aren't religious in nature, but uh, to go to see these monasteries, you know, yeah. it's like going to see a church or, you know, a castle or something. And they're different from each other. And uh, it's a great way to, uh, to get around the country. But the Again, the, the the landscapes there are absolutely stunning. There's parts of Armenia that reminded me of the southwest of the U.S., where there's mm. like canyons and snow-capped mountains. Yeah, uh, there's a place there's a place there called Korvirap, which is a monastery in western Armenia. And you go there, and in the distance, as you're driving up to this monastery, you see the snow-capped mountain in the background. And that's actually Mount Ararat, which is where they say Noah's Ark uh, will be found or oh. that they have found it. But, um, but it's so stunningly beautiful to have this little monastery and this huge snow-capped mountain in the background. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But Mount Ararat is actually in Turkey. So you're oh. on the western border of Armenia and you see this beautiful mountain and you realize that just maybe 10 kilometers away is the border and that is Turkey. So really, really interesting place. That's very cool. So you have... And then the, um, and the cities are, excuse me, the, the cities are very modern and the, uh, the tourist infrastructure is very good, very nice hotels. Uh, the roads are mostly good. There are some back roads, of course. Sure. But, you know, it's a kind of place where you really feel like you're stepping back in time. Um, you know, there's herds of sheep on the road and all kinds of animals that you have to wait for and stuff. Oh and that's God, always fun. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to see. That's very cool. Uh, so you have lots of stories, I'm sure, and I want to hear about some of them. So would you like to play Passport Picks? Sure. Let's do it. For starters, do you have any kind of tally as to how many different places you visited, countries, regions, whatnot? No, I I, I used to count countries, but uh, now I don't. But it's probably in the seventies, and wow. uh, yeah, and it, it could be more. But I go back to places over and over again because sure. I'm bringing groups back. Mm -hmm. So I've been to Cuba eighteen times. Um, <gasps> Uh, here in Cambodia, maybe eight times. And so a lot of wow. countries I go back to over and over again, yeah. which is great because I make friends. I get to see people that I've met before. Uh, I do something where I bring back pictures to the people that I've met on previous trips. And that's something I absolutely love to do. So I'll take a picture one year and then I'll bring them back the next year because almost oh. inevitably I'll find those people again whether it's someone sitting on a street corner or in their house window or whatever. I, um, I'm a photographer, so I, I, I do a lot of photography and I teach travel photography, but it's really fun to do. And I, and I say it's a, it's a very inexpensive, lightweight, but very meaningful gift to bring back to people because yeah. there are times when these people may not have uh, phones or cameras or even mirrors in their houses. And um, tell the story about, uh, I was in Copper Canyon, Mexico, another one of my favorite places. And I was bringing back pictures maybe two years later. And I'd taken a picture of two little girls. And I knew exactly where I'd taken it. So tiny little like five houses like, on the Copper Canyon which yeah. is uh, bigger and deeper than the Grand Canyon, and no one's ever oh. heard. Of it. 
And so I bring these pictures back and I show it to this little girl that I saw, right? I knew where I took the picture. And I said, do you know who these little girls are in this picture? I'd like to give it to them. And she said, no, I don't know. And so I turn around to another group of young girls and I said, do you know who this picture is? And they said, it's the girl that you just showed the picture to. <laughs> and, and she had grown. <laughs> she was probably six when I took the picture and eight when I brought it back. So kids right. grow very uh, rapidly and change. And so oh, she yeah. didn't even recognize herself in the picture. And it was her oh, sister. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And so uh, I gave it back to her, but I started to really think that, boy, you know, she lives in this very remote part of Mexico and probably doesn't have a camera, cell phone. Maybe today she does, but, uh, you know, maybe not even a mirror in her house to know what she looks like, which is really interesting. Yeah. And so that's something I love to do. And it's so meaningful because a lot of times... Uh, people don't have pictures of themselves or I'll bring back pictures and it'll be of a woman's kids that she doesn't necessarily have pictures of. And so they're Aww. thrilled, you know, they're really thrilled. And, and like I say, it's lightweight, takes nothing and yeah. bring pictures back and they're cheap and, but very extremely meaningful to the people. That's so nice. I love that. Nice. So you bring these people gifts, but do you have a favorite souvenir or collectible that you've brought home from any of your travels? Uh, I could think of a couple. One, uh, when I was in Peru, I mentioned back in 1980 and in 2000, 2020. So a couple of years ago, we had a 40th reunion and this was during COVID. And so right. it was all by Zoom. And, and so I hadn't seen some of the guys that were stu- you know, fellow students of mine that I went down there with in high school mm-hmm. and the leaders of the group who back then were probably like 23, 24 years old. And, you know, we thought they were old men. <laughs> and, uh, and so everyone was bringing, you know, wearing the hat that they bought in Cusco or whatever, some other, you know, cup that said, you know, the place that we stayed on or something. And yeah. I have, I, till this day, I have this blanket that I bought back then, you know, 40 Ooh. some years later, I still have this blanket. It was in my car for years, kind of covering up the back and yeah. so I brought that out. And that's something I still have till this day. And yeah. um, it, it, that's, it brings back great memories. So that, that's something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> One other thing is uh, I was in Morocco and the Mm. local people there that I would bring groups to their shops and where they sold rugs and carpets and different kinds of uh, knickknacks and sort of, you know, antiques, really. And I had brought so many groups there and they bought so much stuff that this shop sent me a antique ancient Moroccan door and oh yeah which is really cool so it's about maybe four feet high by three feet wide and they sent it to me from Morocco and so um I don't have a house (laughs) because I'm traveling (laughs) so so I didn't really have anywhere to put it but when I'm in town I stay with family and so I put it in my mom's house and it's, we found a perfect spot for it. And it's something that I pass by when I'm there and brings back really great memories. And it's such a cool thing to have. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And probably worth something. I wish I knew more about the history of it. Yeah. Maybe you could ask on your next visit. <laughs> Do you have a favorite travel tip or a hack that you've picked up along the way? Let's see. Um, one thing that I do, and it's it's not too exotic, but um, I like to put labels on everything. And I put my my shortest email address because I've got like 15 email addresses. Sure. And I put that on almost everything that I don't want to lose because I figure if there's a way for people to get you back something that you lost or left behind, then 
they will have a chance of getting it back to you. And so I put this little label on my tripod, on my camera lenses, on, you know, anything that I feel like uh, if someone were to like, even I've got this little two prong adapter here. It's got my Mm. email on it because, you know, you always, it goes on the end here of my regular U.S. style. Right. Sometimes you pull it out of the wall and you don't realize it's a wall. Yeah. Now, this costs 99 cents, but it's very important because if you don't have it, you're you're stuck. You can't charge anything. So uh, that's a little hack. And it may sound a little strange, but I actually got an iPad back in uh, Croatia when wow. I it falling between the seats on the train. So I got off the train without it. And someone oh emailed me the next day and said, hey, I found your iPad. Oh. Wow. Okay. So that's great. And so we worked it out so that he could send it to me. I was still in Croatia and I got it back. That's amazing. So had I not had there not been a way for him to get it back, I could have forgotten about you know that thing. Right. So, and he would have uh, had a new iPad. <laughs> exactly, which was worthless because it had a code, you know, to get into sure. it. So yeah, uh, that's those are the kind of little tips that I like to give um, that, yeah. that help people a lot. Yeah, and Very also another practical. one. Another one is uh, bring a power strip with you, and. It, I've got one that has both Euro and U.S. style uh, plug uh, plugs in it, so you can plug yeah. either one into it. And then I just use one of these for it. That goes into the wall, and now I've got three or four U.S. or European style um, outlets. And so that's, that's if I like to give. Uh, also, if you're at the airport, that especially works well at the airport because. You know, you go up to these power stations and they're completely filled with everyone charging their devices. Right. So I'll go up to someone and say, hey, would you mind if I plug in my power strip? You can plug yours in. I could plug mine in. And, then you know, maybe someone else could plug theirs in, too. And so you kind of become a hero when you when you do that. So that's that's kind of fun. That's a smart thinking. (laughs) So you have identified a few places that are among your favorites, but which is the ultimate favorite destination? And what is it about it that puts it at the top of the list? Well, if I were to have to move to one place, because I always think about where I want to live, because I I do Mm want to live internationally at some point when I start to slow down a little bit, because right now I'm on the road about eight or nine months out of the year. So it doesn't make sense for me to have a home anywhere. And so uh, that's why I stay with family. It's, it's called location independent or digital nomad these days, I guess. And um, so Spain would probably be that country Um, because I speak the language. uh, It's, I mentioned earlier how varied it is, the food, the yeah. beautiful little villages, the bigger uh, capital city, Madrid, Barcelona, yeah. the coastline, the weather, the olive oil and wine. I mean, it's just ticks almost all those, those, that, those lists, you know? Yeah. Can you tell me um, another, I guess, of your favorite travel experiences that was completely unplanned and unexpected? I'll tell you another funny story that just happened to me on this trip. Is I'm okay. flying, yeah, I'm flying over from Chicago through San Francisco, Taipei, and then to Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia. And they, I asked the I always another tip of mine is to try to sit towards the front of the airplane near the uh, exit so that you could be one of the first people off and into the immigration line. Because if you're in the back of the bus, you're going to be behind potentially 300 people waiting to go through immigration themselves. So I try to sit up towards the front so you could be one of the first people off the plane and into line. So I asked the guy at the airport uh, when I was boarding in Taipei, could you move me a little bit further up front? Because I was in like row 29. So he puts me in row 20, which was the furthest up in that class. And 
I had an aisle seat, but this seat was so narrow that oh, no. I could barely fit in it. And, oh, no. And I, I did, but it was really tight. And, you know, you didn't, it was a pain to get up and down. And so they yeah. served lunch. They served lunch. And, uh, you know, you got all that stuff on your table. You got, you, you don't know where to put your water bottle, this, that. And the, there's, you know, and especially in the bulkhead seat, the tray tables are really small. Oh, so geez. I'm like this, eating, you know, trying to eat. <laughs> and, yeah. And so the roll from my lunch falls off my tray and onto the floor. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, feel terrible, but I'm not going to like figure out how to get this tray out and everything. I'm all stuck in here. So I said, I'll pick it up later when they come and take all the trays away. So I, I thought I saw it roll right underneath the curtain between the two different classes. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, okay, you know, maybe the flight attendant will pick it up or something. Otherwise I will when I'm done. So sorry to make a long story longer, but, um, I, I go to, I put my shoes on. I, I've got those compression socks that I wear and uh, when I'm flying, especially long distances. That's another good tip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so I put on my shoes and I, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe my compression sock is bunched up in my shoe. So I'm like, I'll oh, forget it. I'll, I'll just deal with it when I get out. So I, we land, I go through immigration. I meet my driver. I get to the hotel. I take my shoes off and there's a smashed roll no. in my shoe. <laughs> What I thought was a sock was this roll that had somehow landed in my shoe. I put the shoe on and I walk around for an hour and a half, get to hotel, <laughs> take it off. And I realized that the roll had landed right in my shoe and I put it on. Didn't even realize, you know, because oh it wasn't a hard roll. It was one of those real spongy kind of rolls. Yeah, yeah. I was laughing oh my so gosh. It was so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. You know, stuff like um, that you can't make up and it, it you know, it happens quite sure. it, it makes a, it gives a little story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you've been exposed to just a number of different cultures. Do you have a favorite way of really immersing yourself when you are visiting a different culture or a new culture? I do a lot of Airbnbs where I, you know, rent a place, especially if I, like I say, get to a place typically three days before the group comes. I'll often, uh, we stay at very nice hotels. So to save money, I'll often stay at an Airbnb, but those are usually in neighborhoods and, you know, they're, you feel like you've got your own place for a while because I don't have my own place. So it's not, it's like, okay, I've got an apartment for three or four days or yeah. you know, longer depending and so that's a way that I like to get into the culture because, like I said, they're often in neighborhoods that you wouldn't necessarily visit. They're not by the hotel, uh, you know, chains and stuff, which we typically don't stay at chain hotels anyway. But, um, you know, how hotels are typically concentrated towards the center. It's busier. Right. So staying at Airbnbs or those types of properties, uh, renting a flat for a little while is always a great way to get into the culture because then you have to figure out where the local market is, where you might need to, you know, get your laundry done, how you get yeah. into the center, all those things. So that's, that's a, a really good way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that remains at the top of your bucket list that you haven't been able to cross off yet? Yeah, there's a, certainly a lot of places. Um, as Susan Sontag says, I haven't been everywhere, but it's on my list. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but um, I, I had always been interested in going to Syria. I'd seen a show on it, a travel show years ago, because unfortunately now it's not a safe place and not a place that I would want to visit today because unfortunately it's you know, very bombed out and it's, uh, it's a horrible situation there. But that was a country that I'd seen on one of the travel shows. It's like, wow, that looks fascinating. I never really thought of going there. 
So that was always high on my list. Columbia was on my list, but I actually was able to get that off the list. Uh, last year, I went there and scouted. This year, I brought a group there. So I, I've seen that. Um, I've flown through Tokyo. And another tip is uh, I was figuring out my flight back from Vietnam. I was in Vietnam with a group and I needed to get back to Chicago. And the flights I was looking at flew through Tokyo. So I'd never been to Japan. It was always a place I wanted to go to. So I called the airlines and I said, could I uh, extend my layover to uh, five days and then continue on on the same ticket? And so that's something that you can do. Uh, So if you're flying through a place that is interesting to you, you may be able to call the airline, ask them if that's something that you could do. And so the ticket didn't cost me any more. And so it was like a free flight to Tokyo, one of the most expensive cities in the world. I got an Airbnb there for about $80 a night. And it was a very inexpensive trip to a very expensive place. And so um, that was wonderful. However, to get to your question, I now I've been to Tokyo, but I would love to see more of Japan as well. Yeah. So I'm working together a a group trip for uh, a client of mine and her family. And I'm starting to do some customized trips for people where I'm not on the trip, but using my experience, my contacts and everything, uh, people will ask me to put together trips for them. So I've done it to Spain a couple of times and uh, this one to Japan for them. And I'm seeing all the wonderful places that they're going to go, the things they're going to do, the people they're going to meet. And I'm like, uh, you know, it, it brings up the fact that oh, I really have to get to the rest of Japan as well. Yeah. I'm on absolutely. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the Continental Drifter. How did this start? Like, tell me about the beginnings of it. Sure. So um, I have had an idea for a travel show for about 18 years now. And yeah, before I was even, you know, I would call myself a travel photographer. Before I started organizing tours for other people, I'd actually created this TV show for someone else, some other professional photographer to lead. And I thought that the Continental Drifter would be a a good name for it. So I was uh, in France at a uh, beautiful 11th century castle that we stay at in the Dordogne region. And I was there with another guy who was a TV show producer. And we just started talking, having a beer. And he says, uh, yeah, I'm always looking for TV show ideas and stuff. So, well, I just happen to have one that, you know, in the background for a long, long time. And I felt now potentially I could host this, this uh, trip or this, uh, this show. So I, um, and I wanted to call it the continental drifter. So the show never happened. um, But I got the continental drifter.co website. I trademarked the name and I recently just brought my two other travel brands, Photo Enrichment Adventures and Alacampania Experiences, under the Continental Drifter brand. Uh, because I had three websites, three social medias for every account. You know, it was just a real pain for me, but it also was uh, confusing my clients. You know, are you the Continental mm-hmm. Drifter? Is it Alacampania? Is it Photo Enrichment? So I brought this summer, I had some time and uh, a wonderful assistant in Ukraine, another place that I really wanted to go to before the war. And I had a trip planned for that August and then the war broke out. And now what a shame because that was a really oncoming travel destination. And I so wanted to go there. So now that's kind of off the list. But anyway, back to the story. Uh, so me and my assistant had time this year, this summer, to make that transition because I was really just dreading the, you know, having to bring these two other brands under this third one. So yeah. we were able to do that this summer. So now everything is 
continentaldrifter.co, their continental drifter experiences. I've got a YouTube channel called The Continental Drifter. So I, it was such a load off my, my, my back to be yeah, able absolutely. to get down to one brand. And yeah. so I registered the trademark. So I own the name for travel, ebooks, podcasts, all the different categories that I could get. And so that's something I'm concentrating on. So I've done uh, about 100 episodes on my YouTube channel. Wow. And, um, and so that's something that I, I really enjoy doing. And uh, so, uh, it, so that's, that's the brand name now. Oh, I love that. And you're Thanks. working on a couple of books right now, yeah? I am. And uh, speaking of bucket lists, I'm, I'm putting together like the ultimate bucket list of travel items and stuff so that continents, places, cities, activities, experiences that people can purchase the book and start ticking these things off their list. Oh, I love that. So that's something that I'm working on right now and hope to have that out in the, the next couple, uh, in, in about a month. And um, so it, it takes a lot of work, but as you can imagine. But I'm, I've got about three or four different books that I'm working on right now. And I'm, I'm really excited about it because I'm looking to diversify my business because right now, uh, 99% of my income is from these trips and the pandemic showed us all that the world can shut down for you know, yeah. a year and a half, two years, which is not good for a one man travel business when people can't leave their own homes. So yeah. it really was a, a wake up call that I need to start diversifying. And as I slow down, cause I've been doing this hardcore for 15 years and, you know, I might have uh, three to five years left in me to do it like this. So I want to slow down and uh, have that income stream as well. So that's yeah, yeah, good for you. I am going to include links to all of your things in the episode show notes so people can easily find you. And I hope that you have more of these crazy experiences so you'll come back again and again. Absolutely, I yeah, it's it's. You can't make these things up. So it's, it's fun when they happen, if they're, if they're good experiences and, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, what's down the road. So, you know, people ask me what, where, where you know, where, what's your favorite country? And I say the next one, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I like that answer. <laughs> it's down the road. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to show your support is to rate or review us on whatever platform you're listening. And if this episode left you feeling like you just had to be there, reach out to Kelly to start planning an adventure of your own. Don't forget to follow us at HadToBeThere203 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And visit our website, www.HadToBeThere.net. Until next time, get out there and make your own had to be there memories.